Okay, well, morning, everybody. Um, <clears throat> morning, morning, morning. Morning, morning, morning. Thank you, brother. Um, today, I'm not going to be using any overheads, which is really unusual for me. Um, kind of going to go old school today. And um, for the past few weeks, at least since I've been kind of preaching, I know um, Bertram shared with us last week really helpfully. Um, I was away last week. And thank you for those of you that prayed for me. I had a tremendous time over at ECCI. Used to be called um, Emmanuel, Emmanuel Christian Center. Now they changed it to Emmanuel Community Church International. And um, got to go over there. I don't know if you guys ever know Des, who um, started an organization called Spark to Life. So Des, um, about 25 years ago, went to prison for murder. And um, while he was in prison, he got converted. And whilst he literally was in prison, counting down the days before he had to leave, he said, Lord, he says, if you can help me, he says, I want to do something that's going to prevent other young men from coming to this terrible place. And he did. He started an organization called Spark to Life, which works predominantly with um, offenders. You know what I'm saying? They'll, they go into prison and, and share, speak to, spend time with um, criminals. And um, they try to share the gospel with them. And they don't leave it there. When, when these inmates complete their time, they meet them at the gate. And not only do they meet them at the gate, they take them to a safe house. Because you know what it's like if you go back on the ends, especially if your life is um, directly involved in criminal activity. It's hard to break free. So they, they put them in a safe house, and they feed them, they take care of them, and um, they disciple them. And then what they do is they train them plumbing, um, bricklaying, elect elect electric electrician. And then once they've trained them, they give them a job. And how many of you know this kind of process is the type of process that sometimes it takes to help? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's one thing just saying, oh, you know what? Um, you need to turn your life around. You need to stop the madness. <laughs> That's one thing. You know what I'm saying? And that obviously does need to be said. But sometimes people need practical help. You know what I'm saying? To get out of these difficult circumstances that they're in. So Spark to Life, that's, the, that's what they do, plus a whole host of other things. And so it was a pleasure for me to go to the church. I've known Des, me, myself and Pastor E, we've known Des for over 20, maybe 25 years from when we used to do prison ministry. And so it was just a blessing to see him and to spend time at the church there. And so again, thank you for praying for me for that. It went really well. So today, coming back to today, isn't it? Um, today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and that, based on us talking like two weeks ago, just about prayer, as we have been, that's been our little series, and two weeks ago, we talked about some of the things that hinder our prayers, that prevent our prayers from being answered, that prevent, you know what I'm saying, us getting the things that we desire from the Lord, you know what I mean? Sometimes there are blockages, and one of those blockages, can anybody remember from two weeks ago what it was? What's one of the things that prevents sometimes, you know, God from hearing our prayers? All right. Amen. Us. Amen. Yeah. That's always, always probably the answer. Um, more specifically, unforgiveness. And I just want to take that theme of um, 
I say unforgiveness, but more forgiveness um, this week as we look at Luke chapter 7 and, and possibly next week as well. Luke chapter 7. Um, so if you turn there, I'll just kind of set it up. In the previous chapter, so in, ch- in Luke chapter 6, we see some interesting contrasts. Jesus, he healed a sick man on the Sabbath. Sick man. Terribly upsetting the religious leaders, which is a madness. You'd think the religious leaders would be happy that this poor sick man was healed. No, they weren't. Another contrast, we see an Italian centurion, right? And I say Italian, you know what I'm saying? Because he's a Roman, right? And he's a foreign outsider who, with an astonishing display of faith, outshines even God's people. You might remember hearing Jesus saying, Luke 6, verse 9, um, turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith in Israel that I'm seeing in this Roman foreigner. We see the contrast. Proving that God's people don't always see things clearly. You can be religious, but that's no guarantee that you're right. Even the story just just before hours that we're going to read in a minute about John the Baptist. It illustrates that even Jesus' closest followers can sometimes misunderstand Jesus and even be guilty of being offended by Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been offended by Jesus. (laughs) He said something that you never like. I know it's happened to me bare times. I'm saying as, as disciples, we can get things really right. Bless you. But we can also get things terribly wrong. Jesus, as always, reveals God's heart, doesn't he? But at the same time, reveals the sinful hearts of humans, whether they be sinners or saints. Let let me pray for us. Father, as we approach this topic today, I pray that you'd really just help us to see um, that really... We can only genuinely love if we've been genuinely forgiven. And, um, yeah, use this story, I pray, Father, to illustrate that to our our hearts and our minds. And allow us, Lord, to be transformed um, by your wonderful grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's message is called Forgiven People Love. Forgiven People Love, which basically means if you're going to love, it's going to basically be fundamentally because you've been forgiven. Now, in our text today, we have two contrasts. I'll give you a couple of, con- a couple of contrasts starting with the chapter before, right? <clears throat> in our text, we have two contrasting individuals. We have a man and we have a woman. I mean, there's a contrast if I ever saw one, right? especially the days in which we live. You've got this religious leader and you've got a prostitute. If you like, if you like, we've got the vicar and the the hooker. And the big surprise is the person that you'd expect to know Jesus doesn't. And the person you wouldn't expect to know Jesus does. Read with me, right, in Luke 7. Starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees 
invited Jesus, and that's our first character. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he, Jesus, went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, at his, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman, Jesus, and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Right, so what's the setting? I've already mentioned it's a dinner. It's actually a high society dinner. And Jesus is invited to dine with this dignitary in the community. Verse 36 says, when one of the Pharisees, right, that's him, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Verse 37 says, a woman of that town who did what? All right, you're not following with me. All right, then. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Now, another translation says she was a woman of the city who was a sinner. Can you hear it? Most theologians agree that this term undeniably describes a prostitute or a sex worker. A person who engages in sexual activity for payment. Right? It says, she, she, this woman, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there. And she came with a, with a gift, an, alab an alabaster jar of perfume. Again, this is a, a high-profile politician-type individual, which is what a Pharisee was. 
with a high-profile guest, right, which is Jesus. So this is an event, and I'm saying, and many would be aware of this event, and a number of uninvited people would often turn up at such events, and they'd be there standing, watching, waiting, from a, from a short distance away on the edges of the courtyard. Large houses like these would typically have this courtyard surrounded by private family bedrooms. And I mean, I know what this looks like. So myself and my wife, we went to Tunisia um, a little while ago. And we went into the, the city, literally. Um, we left the city, Helen, was it one day later? And, they, and a bomb blew up right in the city where we were, like a day after we left. Um, but we were right in the city. We went down to what they call the Sook where you go down to see the shops, and all the shops are all the same, you know what I'm saying? It's like what, I don't know if you, 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 you ever remember East, East, East Street, like Wharf Road, there used to be a market down there. You go down there, and um, like, live, like, like Wrigley Road Market, them kind of markets, and every, every, every two or three um, you know, vendors, you know, it's all the same stuff. This is what it was like in the Sook. Um, but, but the guide who took us around also took us to a number of different houses and homes that were in the city. And because they're in the city, you know they were owned by people with money. And the more money they had, the bigger the courtyard. So we went into quite a few, and literally you'd walk in the front door, and over on the right-hand side, you'd have a place where you pretty much sit and have your feet washed. And then you'd have to sit there as a visitor, and then, the, 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 then one of the servants would come and get you, and they'd take you through this like, double door, like those double doors, and you go straight out into a big, massive courtyard. And it was a courtyard that was open, no roof. You know I mean, because the sun's virtually always shining in them places. And then in, you've got this courtyard, normally a square courtyard, and then you've got these doors that lead into bedrooms or the family rooms of that particular house. Remember, remember, honey? In the courtyard is where people used to eat. And this is where they ha would have community and everyone would come together. And, and it's in a courtyard type setting that, that this woman is standing, along with others, again, probably, possibly uninvited guests or not so highly esteemed guests. And you'd all be standing on the outskirts, of, but inside the courtyard, while there's the main thing going on in the middle. And there's Simon and the rest of his, 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 his crew, you know what I'm saying, the other Pharisees, very high-profile individuals, high-powered individuals, and then you've got Jesus sitting in the midst, and people are standing around watching, listening, you know what I'm saying, but not a part of it because you're not on the levels, right? And this is where this woman is, and she's standing there, watching and listening. Now, this, this open courtyard would be where, I said, these honored guests would sit at table, or as the text says at the end of verse 36, or recline at table. Um, sometimes it wasn't a literal table. I mean, a table is metaphoric of a place where food is placed so you can eat. And you know in that culture, what they'd do is they'd sit, they'd, you'd, you'd have like a place in the middle where all of the different foods are, pro, are, are placed. And you'd kind of lean here on the edge out so your legs would dangle out. So everyone's kind of leaning in like this, going around, and the food's in the middle. Does that make sense? 
So they're reclining at table. They're not actually sitting now with knives and forks like we would, right? Different culture. And this even takes place even today. <sighs> Which means if you like the, the, the floor or this slightly raised area, they'd be leaning on cushions, you know what I'm saying, stretched out feet behind them, which explains how this woman in verse 38, notice, stood behind him at his feet. Can you see the picture? What else was she doing? Boy, no one ain't in Luke chapter 7 with me. Luke chapter 7, verse 37. I'm not moving now. I'm going to wait for you. Somebody help me. What else is she doing? As she's standing there, what's she doing? Thank you. She's weeping. Crying. She's more technically weeping, which is, you know what I'm saying? And it's crazy because unlike the, the dignified host... This undignified great gate crasher, if you like, she comes bearing a gift for Jesus. Often, often people come to Jesus to get. It's not often co people come to Jesus to give. She comes seemingly with great gratitude. Maybe for something that was done previously for her by Jesus. We're not sure, you know what I'm saying? But with definite intent. Maybe, I don't know, initially to just hand over this expensive perfume, you know what I'm saying, as a gift, as a thank you, possibly. Or maybe the perfume are just her tools of trade. She begins, as she stands there behind Jesus at his feet, she begins to weep uncontrollably. Was it because of something that Jesus had said a few minutes previously, as they're all standing watching, listening, you know, Jesus like when it comes to talking, you know, Jesus is just on another level. They say of him, no one ever spoke like this man. Was it something he said? But then for no apparent reason, she begins to weep uncontrollably. And you know, weeping is different, like I said, to crying. Like you can cry without expressing any emotion, like. How many of you have done it, like watching one of them films, them real tearjerkers? And it's one thing when you're in the room on your own. It's all right. You just, ah, you just, you know what I mean? But if there's someone in the room, you just hold it down. You just control it. You know what I mean? But you can't help. When the tear bursts out your eyeball and it runs down your face, you know what I mean? Too, too, you don't want anyone to see. So you quickly, you quickly, you might, there might be a little sniffle, but you just, you know what I'm saying? And you wipe it. And as you wipe it, you're looking around and... You know what I'm saying? It's not like people notice because they, they're wiping the little tear away as well themselves. And, you know what I'm saying? But there's no real outward expressive emotion. But how many of you know you can't weep quietly? You can't weep and it not go unnoticed. This woman, she lost it. She's, she's got, you know, you know, you know that when, when you feel like you want to cry? And you hold it. But then, if you let it go, then it's, it's over. Right? And she's gone. Bawling. Weeping. You know what I'm saying? And, and whatever has happened up to that point is no longer important in this courtyard. I mean, only greedy people are thinking about the food still. Maybe. Everyone else's attention is now firmly fixed on this woman and her interaction with Jesus. That frankly, seemingly, begins to get a little bit X-rated. Now, call me a prude, innit? 
But people attending do begin to feel a little uncomfortable. You see it in verse 38. I don't know if you heard it when I was reading it. Verse 38 continues, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. That's how, that's how I know she was bawling. You know, when you, 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 you're just wiping, and as much as you wipe it, it just, she's gone. Her hot streaming tears hit Jesus on his feet because she's standing behind him, above his feet. Then it says she wiped his feet with her hair. The man said, oh dear. <laughs> Which would have been a definite faux pas. I mean, this would have been an embarrassing, if you like, a tactless act or remark in a social situation. Like, this is a no-no. In that ancient culture, you know, Jewish women, they never would have their hair out in public let alone in the house of a religious leader. Actually, in modern terms, if I can put it like this, this would be like a woman in public topless in that culture. And it gets even more graphic. Look what she does to Jesus' feet. All right, everyone's looking in their Bible now thinking, rah, the Bible's X-rated, rah, I never know, rah, everybody's looking now. Right? What does she do to Jesus' feet? She starts kissing his feet. And poured perfume on them. Probably rubbing the oil into his feet and maybe up his calf. Like a massage. I'm trying to say this is awkward. You know what I'm saying? To say the least. Now, it, now everyone who's watching this is climbing the walls now, thinking, what? <laughs> and notice, Jesus doesn't flinch. Now, he doesn't have the courage to say it out loud. But Simon can't take no more. I mean, this is his house, right? And everyone's probably looking and thinking, rah, bruv, you got you to do something, fam. Like, bro, like, you know what I mean? So he's like, he can't take it no more. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, him, saw this, he said to himself, Rock, boy, you know what? If this man was a prophet, like I invited this man to my yard, who knew, you know what I'm saying, what he was really about? Maybe I'm not going to listen to the haters. You know what I'm saying? All of my boys, them, hate him. Back in, in, in the previous chapter, they're looking at how they're going to deal with Jesus. So maybe my man's looking at Jesus thinking, you know what? Let me just give him a, give him a chance, innit? But now I know, man knows now. Boy, man knows now. Look how you're, he says, he says, he said, I noticed he said it to himself. Like I said, he ain't got courage enough. If this, he never said it with his chest. I heard like, like, it's just a new term I've learned from some of the young people. If you're going to say something, you know what I mean? Don't even bother. If you're not going to say it with your chest, don't say it at all. Say it. <laughs> so my man, he don't, he don't say it with his chest. You know what I mean? He says, if this, like, if this man was a prophet, boy, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Simon's like, I mean, how is he allowing her to do that to him? In public. 
Now, the things that people will allow in public versus private, what type of things do, will people do privately that they will never do publicly? Pornography, masturbation, notice I'm not looking at nobody, fornication, adultery, embezzling funds. How about harboring bitterness? How about resentment? Like these are the things that you may not necessarily always see outwardly, you know. How about hatred? It's real, you know. Like you're never going to say it. But how many of you felt it? Well, I know, well, I know, I know I have. Jealousy. Jealousy, you know. Idolatry. How about envy? Why has that person got that? Whether it's that wife or that husband or that car or that house or those looks or name it. You fill in the blank. Envy. Strife. Outbursts of anger. How about rivalry? How about division? And how many of you know, like this prostitute, like this Pharisee, like this sinner, and like this quote-unquote saint, if you get close enough to Jesus, how many of you know, if you get close enough to Jesus, he begins to expose these things in our hearts. If you get close enough to him. In verse 39, can you see Simon doing two things? Let me just read it again. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, and I'm going to say two things. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Two things I'm suggesting. One, this man is presuming to know Jesus. And he's drawing unfounded conclusions about Christ. Can you see that? Chatting about if this man were a prophet. <laughs> Do you know that presumption, they say, is, is one of the lowest forms of wisdom? It's when we stand off and we look at somebody and we presume to know what they're really about. You know what I mean? And we take our presumption sometimes and we share that with others. Sometimes on social media. Or often, I should say, on social media. That's why I don't fast for the social media thing, you know. Listen, and we can presume things about people and make conclusions about people that are completely unfounded. How many of you know this guy missed it? My, God, my, my man missed it big as Dallas, Texas, if you're aiming at it. My man completely missed it. Presumption. Judging people on limited information, you know. Now, it's so tempting, but I can, can I suggest that, that we don't make a habit of doing that, of judging people on that basis. It's better you go up to the person and speak to them. You know what I mean? Because it could be. It could, it, it could be that you're wrong. That's the first thing, presuming to know Jesus, you know. And the second thing is, can you see the second person that he's going to be looking at? He puts this poor woman 
in a category different to himself. <laughs> this woman is obviously a sinner. Jesus, as, as a holy man, you shouldn't have anything to do with her. But me, on the other hand, man like Simon, man like me, I'm saying man in upstanding, man in big in the community, and Jesus should obviously spend time with me. Obviously, he thinks that way. Otherwise, why would he invite him to his house? See, because I'm not like this hussy. And I'm saying now he would he uses that H word. We'd use another H word, but keep into the context. Then Jesus responds to Simon. Simon is not ready for Jesus' response. And the thing is, Jesus, unlike him, ain't presuming. Jesus will perfectly prescribe Simon's proclivity. Don't ramp with Jesus, you know. Why? Jesus will dissect your heart and show you things you never knew existed, let alone in your own heart, in my own heart. Verse 40, Jesus is going to respond to him. And Jesus answered him, Simon, Jesus is deep, you know. Jesus could have, Jesus could have hotted like my man differently. But watch what he does. He says, Simon, and, and remember, other people are listening. Jesus is so gracious. Simon, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, not knowing that Jesus just read his mind inside that, just done x-ray vision on him, you know. My man's like, yeah, tell me. If he knew what was coming, he would have been like, boy, Lord, can we just wait till a bit, like, little later? <laughs> <And> just... <laughs> See, Jesus will creep up on us like that. Simon, two people, verse 41, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 50, sorry, one owed him 500 denarii, and the other owed him how much? 50. So one owes 10 times the amount of the other. I mean, 50 is a lot. And I mean, if you ain't got 50 pounds, 50 pounds is a lot of money. Verse 42. Now, they both owe this money lender. You know what I'm saying? It's payday loan. You know, I saw an advert for payday loans, and the APR was 49%. And then I saw another one. The APR was 95% APR. Amiga, I think it was. Amiga, that was the 49% ones. Might, like, be careful of those payday loan things. They look good on the surface. Anyway, so this moneylender, I'm not even trying to say he's a loan shark or anything, but Jesus is telling a story. Robert, get back to the point. One owed 500, one owed 50. Verse 42, neither of them had the money to pay him back. My grandfather used to say, never borrow a horse, because if you borrow a horse, you might end up having to buy two horses. And if you never had no money to buy a horse in the first place, you know that you're in a predicament. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So, notice, what did he do? The money lender. He forgave, right, the debts of both. And Jesus now says to Simon, in conclusion, which of them will love him, the money lender, more? It's not hard, is it? Jesus, you know, Jesus is the master of consolidating incredibly profound thoughts in a sentence or two. Which one of them will love him more? 
Notice, Jesus introduces the, the themes of forgiveness and love. Weren't present before. Jesus introduces them. Right? He forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? You hear that? In this short story, Jesus doesn't say, notice, he doesn't say about the moneylender, the moneylender let them off. He doesn't say the moneylender, he just let it go. He says he forgave them. Jesus doesn't say, which one of them is going to appreciate it? You know what I mean? He doesn't say, which one of them is going to be grateful? He says, which one will love him? Which one will love the moneylender? Now, if you've ever been in that kind of predicament, you know what that feels like when somebody loves you. Especially when it's money, and it's a lot of money. Can you see Jesus introduced these terms of forgiveness and love? Now, which one of the two debtors will love him more? Verse 43, Simon replied, well, I suppose the one... What do you mean you suppose? What do you mean you suppose? Can you, can you hear the sarcasm? He should, he, he should immediately say, wow, Lord, the one that was on the bigger debt. No. Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt, innit? He was the one, you know what I'm saying? And, and then he uses, at least uses Jesus' words. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus says, you have, you've judged correctly, Jesus said. You've judged correctly in terms of the little story. But you've not judged correctly in terms of the bigger issue of this precious lady. And you've not judged correctly in terms of me for that matter. First of all, I am a prophet, actually. Some, say would, some would say much more than a prophet, <laughs> actually. So there's one thing that you're wrong about. And two, she, you're, she is a sinner, you're right. She is a sinner. But you misunderstand something. See, based on the laws of contamination, Simon, and you're a Pharisee, so you would know this, you think that this woman is going to contaminate me, putting her hands on me. But my mind's not like yours, Simon. She's not going to, she's going to defile me by touching me. Not realizing that that can't happen. But then you don't know who I am, do you? What you can't see, Simon, is that it's the other way round. She's not touching me. I am profoundly, deeply touching her. And rather than me being defiled, she is in the process of being cleansed. You don't know who I am, do you, Simon? You don't realize that I am the one that can forgive this woman. You don't realize, Simon, that I'm the only one that cannot just forgive this woman, but I'm the only one that can forgive you. But you know what? You don't realize it, but she... But she realizes it. And as a result, there's an evident outward display. Can you, can you not see it? She loves me. 
until the pure, all things are pure. She loves me. Everybody, everyone can see that. You know, but, but you know what, Simon? I don't see any expressions of love coming from you. Then, watch this. Jesus does this really often, and I love it when he does this. Jesus turns, and what does the text say? Who does he look at? He turns, remember, he's been speaking to, I mean, boy, did he give it to Simon or what? Now he turns and he looks at the woman, but he's going to be speaking to Simon still. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman, notice, and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Jesus, he does this in John 8 with the woman caught in the act of adultery. And he's there looking lovingly, you know, at this woman. And he's speaking quite sharply to this Pharisee. He says, do you see this woman? He says, you don't really see her, but I see her. He says, you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, like customarily you're supposed to do. There's no one, no one knitted. He says, he says, but see this woman? Not like you, you know. Or should I say, see you? You're not like this woman. She, on the other hand, wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, as you customarily would do, again, in Tunisia. Every time I'm, my brother lives in Tunisia, and every time he introduced me to one of his friends, male friends, they would kiss me, not once, but twice. They kiss you on one cheek, and then they kiss you on another cheek, and they will embrace you. I've had, like, some of his friends said to me, if you're Richard's, my brother's name's Richard, if you're Richard's brother, then you are my brother. You know what I mean? And hug me and tell me, look, this is my house, but this is now your house. I mean, this is customary in this culture. And this is customary for people who love one another. But you never, you, you never done that to me, Simon. You think I don't know? It's like you and me are the same. We live in Israel. We're both Jews. Like, you know me, I know you. We know how the thing set. You know how the thing pattern. And you're going to compare yourself to this woman? Shame on you. Verse 45, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. Not even some of the little cheap frankincense and myrrh that you can get around the market down at the souk. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Verse 47, therefore, I tell you, remember, he's still looking at this. How does this lady feel? I mean, who has, has anyone ever treated her like this before? Remember, she's a prostitute. All that she's ever had done to her has been abuse. She's never had anyone give her a kind word, apart from selfishly. She never had anyone publicly honor her. There ain't no one like Jesus, you know. Verse 47, Jesus says, remember, he's looking at the woman. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins, and they are many, 
And if you know anything about Jesus, I'm sure you would say the same of yourself. Her many sins have been forgiven. Now, boy, if she was bawling before, raw. Can you imagine now? She knew who Jesus was. That's why she's there. And now she's got him saying this of her. And it's so beautiful because he's not saying it directly to her. It's, it's that indirect. And often indirects are, are stabs, aren't they? Indirects are normally sarcastic and nasty. Not this one. Not from Jesus. tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. I'm telling you, forgiven people love. Amen, brother? And you see, she, look, don't get it twisted. She's not forgiven because she loves. So don't walk out thinking, okay, I'm just going to love people. And then if I love people, then, then I'll be forgiven. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is, when you've come to the fountain, you know what I'm saying, the author of love, you know, like there's loads of ways you can describe God as mighty and powerful and strong and everlasting. But when God refers to himself, one of, one of the only terms he uses in reference to is, is that God is what? Is that his love. So when you come to him, and you receive that love, you're receiving it. You're a recipient of the, I mean, wow, the primary source of love. And on that basis now, she's able to love. You're able to, I'm able to love when I receive, when we receive that love from the source of love, the ultimate source of love. You know, and, 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 and I've, I've segued already. The same should be true of us. You know what I'm saying? Like, we love Jesus. And if we do, then as a byproduct, what then happens? If I'm receiving love from God, you know what I'm saying, vertically, what happens horizontally? You know, the first commandment, isn't it? The first, you know, what is the greatest commandment they said to Jesus? Jesus says, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's that way around. You know what I mean? The same should be true of us. If we love Jesus, then the byproduct should be us loving others. And I'll show you to, the, to, to what degree in a minute. You know the degree, but look, I'm going to show you in a way that I've never, never ever seen before. We receive love from God. We then go on to love others. Notice, even our enemies. Now we hear that and we know it. But how often do you see that practice? How often do you see, I mean, how often do you see people just love people like genuinely? Raw. Husbands ain't loving their wives. Wives ain't loving their husbands for crying out loud. Parents don't love their their kids and their kids don't love their parents. Like, how often, how often do you genuinely see people loving others with no desire to get, no selfish ambition or, you know what I'm saying, what can you do for me? Like, how often do you see, and then, 
Not only is it hard to see that, how often you see people loving their enemies? We know it theoretically. But I'm talking about seeing it practically. See, but whoever, listen to what Jesus says. He says, but, he says, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little does what? Loves little. What's that all about? Question. Does Jesus have to go scratching around to find scraps of love from you? How much do I love Jesus? And forget the public thing. I mean, the public thing is important, but you know what I'm saying. Like, how about privately? Like, how much do I genuinely, really love Jesus? I mean, only he knows that, right? <laughs> because... Does Jesus have to go scratching around to find scraps of love from you and me? Because you haven't, you might think to yourself, because I haven't really sinned. You know, maybe you're a great person, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe you've got it all together, isn't it? Publicly and privately. Maybe, you know, you're not like the rest of us earthlings. Who, like Simon, you, you don't really think... You don't really need forgiveness. I mean, you made a mistake once or twice in your life, maybe. You only need a little forgiveness then. And as a result, when it comes to love, you've only got a little to give because that's what it says. You're forgiven little. The byproduct is a little love. You only need a little forgiveness. So then all we can expect from you is a little love. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Isn't this a strange statement? See, that is an utterly detestable thing to have said about you. That you love little. Man. I'd hate for anyone to say, you know Robert? Or, what? Yeah, what, that, Robert, that, that Robert who, what, from, from, from Sydney? Yeah, yeah, that one. What, who goes Ecclesia? Yeah, yeah, that one. That brother. Why? He's got a little love. He loves, but little, little. Small, small. <laughs> what? Would you want anyone to say that about you? That, that don't even, it. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You love, all right, but all you got is a little love. Just a little bit. What's with this little love? It's a, come on now, is this not a contradiction in terms? If, if we understand love to be what we understand love to be. Not talking about some petty, like some man told you, oh, I love you, baby. It's you and me. Like for one night, he loves you. And then next week, you can't see him. 
You know what I mean? Man don't want to answer your calls. You call him and he's telling you that he's busy. But wait a minute. Ain't you the same brother that told me last week that you love me? Yeah, I love you, but small, small. Little, little. You know what I mean? It's like, I only got so much to go around. You know what I mean? What's, who wants to hear that? Ain't no such thing. When you understand, when you understand what happened to Jesus on the cross, to purchase forgiveness, you know that forgiveness ain't no little thing. Forgiveness is a big thing. It's not a little thing. Jesus died on the cross, what? Because of a little love. No. Now, I'm not sure. But I might go as far to say, not only did Simon not have little love, Simon had no love. He didn't do anything to express love to Jesus as outlined by Jesus himself in verse 44 to 46. And as a byproduct, he didn't have love for nobody else. And this woman is an example. He never had no love for this woman. One of the things, one of the, you know who he loved? You know who Simon really loved? Himself. And Simon's there judging other people, you know. Simon, bro, fam, you actually need to take a look at yourself. They're quick to, how, like, how dare you? Judging everybody but yourself, Simon. Judging everybody but yourself, Robert. He didn't do anything. Notice he didn't do anything to express love to Jesus. It was never going to come to this woman then. But Jesus, how many of you know Jesus did? Jesus loved this woman. Verse 48. Let's go. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Wow. I mean, it just, it, it, that just, it just reminds me, you know, of the time when I first got saved. When I first got, like, me and Helen, like, we, me and my wife, we got saved on the same day at the same, I say we got saved. You can never tell when you really kind of, when it really happens, you know what I'm saying? But I know the moment in St. Mark's Church in Kennington, opposite the Oval Tube Station. You know what I'm saying? When me and my wife went, and I took one of my brethren for some, you know, the, uh, maybe you don't know the story, and I, I, I'm not going to tell it now, because it will mash up the point. But I remember me and her, I tell you the story one day, it's a good story still, you know. I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to tell my story next Tuesday night at, at um, Barley Loaves. It's my turn to share the gospel. And I'm, a, I'm just going to tell them my testimony, you know what I'm saying? And me and Helen were standing there, and my brethren, Pierre, and the three of us, we heard the gospel, and oh, it's just bare tears. Bare tears. Bare, te bare running makeup for my wife. Bare tears, bawling, weeping, nose, run, nose not running. I, I understand what this woman felt like to hear your sins are forgiven. And I have that. When I stepped out of that church, the sky looked different. The, the grass looked and and, 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 and and it has never been the same. It's never changed. From that day, I mean, that day was the first day of the rest of my life, is what I'm trying to say. And that was 
nearly 30 years ago. I'm trying to say, when Jesus says to this woman, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Think about how that lands on her heart as a prostitute. There was only one, I would argue, there was only one conversion at Simon's house at this dinner party. And it wasn't Simon or any of his crew. Verse 49, notice. The other guests began to say among themselves, none of them could talk with their chest neither. Who is this who even forgives sins? Can you see that they, like Simon, neither did they recognize who Jesus is, but this woman did. Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Shall we pray together? Forgiven people love. Father, thank you for this wonderful story. Lord, this story is wonderful because in one sense it's tragic. I like most stories. You need that juxtaposition. You need the, the light and the dark, the good and the bad. It's often what makes for a good story. And, and Lord, it's so sad to see this man, this Pharisee, who should have known so much better because he understood the Bible better than anyone else in the courtyard. But it took a woman, Lord, who probably never even knew the Old Testament, not like they did. She never had time. She had to work otherwise. And Father, I thank you because this story is wonderful because it, it exposes, you know, just the, the heart of sinful man. It exposes our hearts as sinners, Lord. We're just so judgmental. We're always presuming. We always think that we're right. And the other person's wrong. And that we're good and they're bad. Lord, thank you for this story. I thank you that it does. It shows your amazing grace as it is received in the life of a sinner who deserves nothing but judgment. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that we don't love. We got little love, which really, is it love? And partly because, Lord, we've not received and embraced your forgiveness. But yet, Lord, when we do do that, we can love. And sometimes there are obstacles to us loving, Lord, like our own unforgiveness. And I pray that, Lord, you'd really just challenge us on that and that we would repent. And that we wouldn't be like Simon, but we would be more like this woman. Who understands and sees you for who you really are. And responds on that basis. Help us, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.